Hi, everybody. My name is Carl Darden, and I'd like to welcome and thank all of you for joining us today here on Navy Sports Central. I'm your host, and this is the official podcast of the Navy Sports Nation, where we take a deeper dive into Navy sports. It's going to be a great day to talk about Navy football in this episode, and I'm talking about both the traditional and rugby kind. Uh, first, we're going to recap the sprint football team's big win over Army in the Star Game. And in the first half of our deep dive segment, we'll see just how Navy was able to take down East Carolina on the road. Finally, we'll take some time to learn more about the men's rugby team and the excellent start to their season. So let's buckle up. We'll get things in gear as soon as we come back. All right, we are officially into fall, even though the fall sports have been going on for about a month now. And when that happens, you know that the first couple of matchups in the Army-Navy Star competition are just around the corner. The uh, volleyball team tried to get the mids into the win column right away last weekend, but it just wasn't their day up at West Point. Um, The Black Knights had just way too much going for them, and they took the match uh, three sets to none. All of them were pretty close, though. Uh, In fact, the score in the second game was 28-26. But after they fell behind two sets to none, uh, Navy just couldn't extend the match, and they lost the uh, third game, I believe it was 25-19. to Now, the good news is they've bounced back since then to win a couple of games, both against uh, Loyola and also American University. So now it was up to the uh, sprint football team to get the mids on the board, and uh, they, they really came through. Um, the game was carried on ESPN+. Plus. And it was a tough battle as usual. What's, what's interesting to me about these games is that against all other opponents in the College Sprint Football League, both Army and Navy are capable of putting up a lot of points. But when they square off against each other, it just turns into a real physical brawl. I mean, they're just basically going at it toe-to-toe the whole time. In the mid two wins last year, the scores were 14-6 and 9-7, so obviously not a lot of points being put up there. Clearly, the defenses are really dialed in. And in this game, it was Navy's defense that was the difference. Uh, Even though the Black Knights had more total yards, the mids came up with two defensive touchdowns that proved to be the difference in the game. Just to recap things a little bit, uh, Navy quarterback Brandon Atwood led the offense down the field on the first drive, and then he hit Carter Mulliken on a 12-yard touchdown pass, and the extra point made the score 7-0 just a few minutes into the game. Then after the kickoff, Army started on its own 11-yard line, and on the second play from scrimmage, Navy's David Niski sacked the quarterback and forced a fumble. Uh, defensive back Mitchell Waters scooped up the ball and took it in for the touchdown, and less than five minutes into the game, the mids were up 14-zip. The uh, Black Knights moved the ball pretty well on their next two drives, but uh, the Navy defense came up big in the red zone, forcing them to settle for a couple of field goals. Um, no one scored in the second quarter, so going into halftime, it was uh, 14-6. Army tried to get something going on the uh, second possession of the third quarter, but again, the Navy defense came through. Lane Condal intercepted the Army quarterback and took it 28 yards to the house, and that made the score 21-6. to The mids added a couple more field goals, and Army picked up a late touchdown, making the final score 27-13. Navy never trailed, and they were in control of the game from the start. It really, really was an impressive win. I mean, that defense was just all over the place. So, now the mids are 2-0 as they look to defend their CSFL championship. And if they do make it all the way through the playoffs, there's a good chance they could wind up facing Army again because these two teams have squared off for all the marbles uh, several times in the past, including last year. But at least for right now, that's one star in the bank for Navy. The next opportunity for the Mids to take home a couple more stars will be in two weeks. They will be going up against the Black Knights in both men's golf and soccer. All right, that does it for our quick sports update. Uh, We'll be back shortly with more football. Stay with us as we break down the Mids' big win over East Carolina. 
Okay, our deep dive segment today is a two-parter, so we're going to go ahead and start things off by breaking down the uh, Navy-East Carolina football game. And I'll tell you that this kind of game analysis is a lot more fun when the mids win, so I'm really going to enjoy this. Um, I think that even though most of you saw that there's some kinks that can be worked out still, uh, that was a pretty great effort against a very, very talented ECU football team. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in, and we're going to be using those five game factors that we've been talking about since the uh, beginning of the season. Let's go ahead and start with explosiveness, and as you'll recall, that's going to be a measure of uh, how effective each offense is in terms of uh, yards per play. And when we figured it all out, Navy had uh, roughly about 340 yards or so on, um, I think, 77 plays, if I got, yeah, I think 77 plays. So that worked out to just about four and a half yards per play. East Carolina, on the other hand, averaged nearly six yards per play. So that was a significant one and a half yard difference. And when teams do have an advantage of a a yard and a half or more uh, when it comes to explosiveness, their chances of winning are usually about 89%. It didn't work out that way this time because of the Navy defense. Um, They did give up a couple of big plays, but their aggressiveness really worked in their favor in the end. Next, we have efficiency, which kind of zeroes in on that uh, explosiveness factor a little bit more. And remember that efficiency just basically shows how well the offense is staying on schedule by picking up the targeted number of yards on each down. So here's how those numbers broke down. Um, Navy's efficiency worked out to 42.5% compared to 36% for East Carolina. So the mids had better than an 8% advantage here, which typically would put their chances of winning at uh, about 76%, all other things being equal. The uh, Navy offense had a total of 12 drives, including overtime, and they moved the ball pretty well on eight of them, uh, even though they didn't always result in points. East Carolina, on the other hand, wasn't quite as consistent, and where that really showed up is in time of possession. Uh, The mids had the ball for over 37 minutes compared to just over 22 for the Pirates. Next up, we have starting field position, and in this particular case, uh, Navy's average starting field position was about the 29-yard line compared to the 25 for East Carolina. And according to the numbers, a difference of about four yards or more means the team with the advantage usually wins about 60% of the time. The mids came out ahead on this metric because they recovered that fumble deep in uh, ECU territory right after they tied the game in the fourth quarter. And this time, they cashed in that turnover by scoring a touchdown. By the way, just so you guys know, Uh, When Anton Hall Jr. went in from seven yards out, there were about nine minutes and 15 seconds left in the game. So it took a total of 170 minutes and 45 seconds of total playing time, but Navy finally had their first lead of the 2022 football season. Okay, our fourth factor is finishing drives. And what we're looking for here is how effective the offense is once they cross the opponent's 40-yard line. Uh, For the mids, that happened uh, six times, including the overtime period, compared to uh, four times for the Pirates. And uh, Navy came away with points on four of those six occasions for a total of 16, while ECU scored on three of those four chances for a total of 13 points. Both teams did have an explosive play from outside their opponent's 40 that resulted in a fourth quarter touchdown. Uh, you recall Vince Terrell Jr. caught that 65-yarder from Lavatai. Uh, that basically tied the game. And then, like I just mentioned, uh, Navy went up 17-10 to 10 when uh, they recovered that fumble and Anton Hall took it in from seven yards. But right after that, ECU scored again. Uh, They got the ball back on the kickoff, and on about a third play from scrimmage, they scored on a 68-yard pass play. But the mids did get inside the Pirates 40 uh, more often and did just well enough, even though ECU was slightly more efficient. And basically, that uh, three-point differential that I just mentioned earlier was the uh, difference in the ballgame. Lastly, we have turnovers to talk about. Uh, Navy had one, and um, ECU had two. So that right there gives the advantage to Navy. And when the difference is plus one in your favor usually those teams end up winning about 64% of the time, according to the numbers. 
So ball security is still an issue for the mids. Uh, fortunately for them, nothing came of the the lost fumble that um, Anton Hall Jr. had earlier in the game. Um, and on the other hand, you look at the two turnovers that Navy did get, both of them were critical. First of all, the one gave them the go-ahead touchdown, and then the second one probably saved the game. So I wanted to talk about that for a little bit. The mids defense got that second turnover on an interception by Tyler Fletcher with less than a minute to go in the game. And when you look at how that play developed, um, Holton Ehlers, who is the ECU quarterback, probably should have never thrown that pass. I don't think Ehlers ever saw Fletcher when he let go of the ball, which is the main reason quarterbacks should never throw across their body. Um, He's a lefty. So he was running to his left and he threw back to his right. And that whole time, his field of vision is moving in the opposite direction from where he's throwing. Because of that, any defender that happens to be outside the quarterback's peripheral vision can come back and make a play on the ball. And I, I think that's what happened here. When Ehlers let go of that ball, he was moving to his left, and I think Fletcher was just outside his peripheral vision, and he broke on the ball as soon as Ehlers let it go and uh, got in front of the receiver to make the pick. So that pretty much did it. Mids took over, and then they ran out the clock and ended up winning the game in overtime. So that does it for our game breakdown. When you look at those five critical factors, uh, Navy came out ahead in four of them, being efficiency, starting field position, finishing drives, and turnovers while ECU only had the edge in explosiveness. Before moving on, I did want to mention a couple of other things that uh, stood out to me, and I'm going to begin with the uh, defense, and in particular the pass defense, and that includes the linebackers as well as the uh, secondary. These guys, the entire game, did a great job of tracking the ECU receivers, and when the ball was thrown, they were aggressively going after it. They were getting a lot of uh, pass deflections and uh, you know just nice pass breakups that really disrupted the, uh, the pirate offense. So that was just great to see. Now, on offense, one thing I noticed was that the mids were running some triple option, but not as much as they had been in the past. Uh, I was seeing a lot of direct handoffs, a lot of good zone blocking and such, but uh, the mids rushing offense is still right around three yards per carry, and that needs to get a little bit better. But overall, the efficiency was good thanks to uh, some really nice pass plays. And of course, we saw the one to Vince Terrell Jr., that one that went for 65 yards on that pass from Lavatai. But uh, he caught another nice one earlier in the game that he had to go up and get. And the thing I liked about that one is that it was put just in the right place by Lavatai. I mean, if Terrell doesn't catch it, it's just going out away from the defender and there's no chance of anybody intercepting it. So that's basically what I like to call a good miss when it comes to uh, the quarterback if the pass would have been incomplete. In this particular case, Terrell got the job done and he brought the ball down. That might have been the drive that led to Navy's field goal at the end of the second quarter. I'm pretty sure it was anyway. The one thing I will say is that Lavatai is throwing that ball with uh, great accuracy and a lot of confidence, so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in these next few games. And finally, I need to mention the Navy special teams, and in particular Dan Davies, who came up absolutely huge filling in for the injured Bijan Nichols as the field goal kicker. He was 3-for-3, three three, including a, a gut-wrenching 43-yarder that he needed to nail for the mids to stay in the game, and he absolutely drilled it. Then he followed that up with a 36-yarder from a pretty tough angle in the second overtime period to give Navy the lead for good. And the last special teams play I'll mention is uh, the one made by Elias Larry uh, on ECU's final field goal attempt. This was one that would have extended it to a third overtime, but uh, what I saw on that particular play was that the ECU kicker was lining up, and he got the kickoff, but I don't know how he could not have seen Elias Larry just rushing in from the right side there, coming off that edge. And even though he didn't get a hand on the ball, Larry's presence in the kicker's field division might have been enough to distract him and force him to pull the ball a little bit to avoid the block, making it go wide left. 
So that was great hustle on the part of Larry. And of course, that ended the ball game right there. Just a solid win by the mids over probably the most improved team in the American Conference. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew it, but ECU was favored by 16 and a half points in that game. So that is a great win to get on the road. All right. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be back with the second half of our deep dive segment where we're going to talk about the men's rugby team. So please, don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back to Navy Sports Central. Carl Darden here with you. And now it's time to get into the second half of our deep dive segment, where we will spend some time talking about the Navy men's rugby team, which has gotten off to a terrific start this season. As most of you know by now, both the men's and women's teams were elevated to varsity status this past May. We've discussed both of them on previous podcast episodes, as a matter of fact, and I will go ahead and put a link to those in the show notes. Now, in those particular episodes, we talked about the game itself. Today, we're going to get more into the program, its coach and players, and um, just like anything else, we're going to go ahead and start at the beginning. If you were to go and look up when rugby was first played at the Naval Academy, you'd wind up back in 1963. That was when they had their first uh, intramural battalion championship. Now, from there, it expanded into a club sport, and they competed against Division I programs all over the country. And they were pretty good, too. In fact, USA Rugby has named 42 midshipmen as All-Americans over the years, and Navy was actually the Division I runner-up in 1994. And even just more recently, in 2018, Connor McNerney was named the winner of the Rudy Schultz Award, which recognizes the best collegiate rugby player in the country. So essentially, you're talking about uh, rugby's version of the uh, Heisman Trophy for college football. Okay, that gives you a thumbnail sketch of the program. Um, now let's go ahead and take a look at the coach. His name is Gavin Hickey, and he is a native of Dublin, Ireland. He graduated from the University College Dublin in 2003. Professionally, he's played for several teams in the UK, including the London Irish Rugby Football Club and the Leicester Tigers. Um, That was a team he actually helped win the Guinness Premiership in 2007. And that very same year, Hickey decided to go into coaching. He was a position coach for the Leicester team in, uh, in 2007, and then he moved to Southern California where he picked up coaching both club and high school teams. Then in 2012, Dartmouth University hired him as their head coach. And all he did there was lead them to five straight Ivy League championships in both the sevens and the fifteens. I'm pretty sure we touched on this in one of the two podcasts uh, from before. But in rugby, you can play with uh, either seven players on a side or 15 players on a side. And, and Dartmouth had both squads. I believe Navy, at least at the D1 level now, just competes with the uh, 15s. Anyway, it was uh, Coach Hickey's track record at Dartmouth that got Chuck Gladchuck's attention when Navy rugby coach Mike Flanagan decided to step down after leading the program for 27 years. Coach Hickey's record is 43-13 and 13 since he's been at Annapolis. And judging from the 3-0 start... He's got the mids ready to take on the competition in the Rugby East Conference, which includes teams like Penn State, Virginia Tech, and Army. Now, uh, just a quick word about team philosophy uh, before we talk about the first few games. Um, Coach Hickey focuses on two things. The first is solid defense, and the second is consistent execution of their uh, set-piece strategy. Now, in rugby, similar to soccer, uh, teams would go looking to uh, employ their set-piece strategy uh, when they're putting the ball back in play. And it usually happens in the offensive zone. Typically, you can begin play again with a free kick um, and also a corner kick, but you can also use a throw in. There are a bunch of different things you can do when you put the ball back in play off of one of these uh, set piece situations. Um, I was actually looking at a bunch of YouTube videos to try and figure a lot of this stuff out. One of the more interesting ones is 
when you're doing a throw in off of the uh, the sidelines, uh, the players on the offensive side, they can actually, actually both teams can do this. They can uh, uh, basically, when the, when the ball's being thrown in, you'll see the offensive player try to throw it to one of his guys and his teammates will actually pick him up and kind of hoist him into the air. And that player can either catch the ball and bring it down and, 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 and introduce a scrum situation, or he can actually tap it to a teammate and keep play going. So I saw the mids do that several times uh, during the game against the Citadel, and I thought that was pretty interesting. So like I said, I'm, I'm basically a rugby novice, so I'm still kind of learning a lot of this stuff. So for those of you who are very familiar with the game, please forgive me for, uh, for maybe not using the right language or anything like that. But uh, nevertheless, I plan to watch several more games as the season goes on so I can understand the concepts and strategies better. But what I can tell you is just about everything that Navy's done uh, with their set-piece offense seems to be working just fine because over the first three games, they've averaged uh, 74 points. And defensively, they're getting the job done too. I watched most of the Citadel game. And by the way, if you still want to see some of it, it's still on YouTube. All you got to do is just uh, type in Navy versus Citadel Rugby in the uh, search bar and it'll come up. But anyway, the defense was in control the whole time. The Bulldogs only made it to their offensive zone one time in the first half and twice in the second. Uh, They almost scored in the second half late in the game, but the mids were able to turn them away and tacked on a final score of their own. That that final was 88 to nothing. <laughs> and then and then the following week against Southern Virginia, the mids won that game 75 to nothing. So they're working on a two-game scoreless streak there uh, in terms of holding their opponents to, to zero points. Mount St. Mary's finally scored 12 points in the third game, but the mids put up 59 of their own to uh, close them out pretty easily. So yeah, right now Navy is 3-0 and overall and 2-0 and in the conference, which puts them tied for first with Army. Um, the other teams in their division are Cutstown, St. Bonaventure, Notre Dame College, uh, no relation to uh, South Bend, uh, and Penn State. In the South Division, you have uh, Mary Washington, Queens, Mount St. Mary's, Virginia Tech, and Southern Virginia. All right, now that we've uh, talked a little bit about the program, the coach, and uh, just kind of recap the first three games, let's go ahead and introduce you to some of the players. And um, the first guy that I want to talk about is... Uh, Ratu Ozea Melibua, he is a sophomore from the island of Fiji, as a matter of fact, and, uh, and, and he served in the Fiji Navy for three years before entering the uh, New Mexico Military Institute. He was there for a year before coming to Annapolis. So Melibua plays at the wing, and he's tied for fifth on the team in points with 15, and he's got three tries so far this season with all of them coming against the uh, Citadel. Now, one of the two teammates Melibua is tied with uh, in points is Tanner Russell, He's another sophomore that comes from Kalispell, Montana. Russell goes six feet and 205 pounds, and he plays the flanker position. So he's one of the fastest forwards on the team. The uh, flankers need to be ready to provide support on both offense and defense. Uh, They need to protect the ball whenever a teammate gets tackled so the offense can maintain possession. Uh, The flankers also need to be ready to receive passes when the offense is attacking. This is what Russell's been able to do the last couple of games. He scored on two tries against uh, Southern Virginia and added another one versus uh, Mount St. Mary's. Next up is J.D. Bankston. He is also a sophomore. Um, So you can see the mids have some pretty good talent that will be around for another couple more years. Uh, Bankston is from Tifton, Georgia, and he plays the back row forward position. These guys have to be pretty versatile. First, they have to be a legitimate scoring threat, uh, but they also have to be sound tacklers because they might be the last player between the ball carrier and the goal line. Um, By the way, Bankston is a solid 6'2", 220 pounds, so he, he can't be all that much fun to tackle. And one of the things that uh, caught my eye in his biography is that one of his hobbies is, get this, creative blindfold drawing. Um, 
I never even knew that was a thing. I, I remember doing team building exercises when I used to work in the corporate world that involved, you know, drawing blindfolded, trying to follow directions and such. But uh, drawing is definitely not one of my strengths. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty certain that uh, anything Bengtson can draw blindfolded is going to be 10 times better than what I can do with my eyes wide open. Uh, the next player I wanted to talk about is Ronan Krieger. He is a freshman fullback from Placerville, California. And in addition to his two successful tries this season, Krieger has four conversion kicks, so that gives him a total of 18 points. As a fullback, Krieger also serves as a primary defender along with the back row forwards, so he's one of the reasons why the mids have only given up two tries so far this season. Now, the uh, guy who is second on the team in points is uh, Ben Howe. He's got 25 overall, and he did that picking up three tries against the Citadel and then two more in the win over Mount St. Mary's. Howe is a junior who checks in at 6'2 and 225. His position is loose forward, so they're typically the last man in the scrum, and one of their jobs is to make sure the ball is available to the scrum half so the offense can begin attacking. So he's been able to do that pretty effectively in addition to uh, you know, scoring a few tries on his own. All right, that brings us to the team's leading points producer, and he is Lewis Gray. Gray is a 5'11", 200-pound senior from Jupiter, Florida, who plays the fly half position. And based on the description, I'd say that the fly half is very similar to the quarterback in traditional football. That's because the uh, offense pretty much just flows through him. The uh, fly half directs the actions of the other backs, and his runs, kicks, and passes are used to uh, launch the attacks for the rest of the offense. Through the first three games, Gray has been an absolute wrecking machine. (laughs) He's got a total of eight tries and 16 conversion kicks for a total of 72 points. I think it was after the uh, Southern Virginia game, Coach Hickey uh, talked about Gray at length, and he sees a ton of potential in him and and believes that uh, Gray is already one of the best rugby players in the country. Okay, now you've all gotten an in-depth look into the Navy men's rugby team, and as you can see, it is a really, really solid program. So I'm hoping that uh, uh, you guys will have a chance to check out a few games. They basically play them on, they, they have their own YouTube channel, so you can pick them up there. And uh, really, really exciting stuff. And to watch these guys, I mean, some of them, like we're talking about six foot over 200 pounds, they are really impressive to watch when it comes to running the ball. They've got good speed and trying to tackle them looks like trying to tackle a tank. I mean, I don't know how anybody would want to get in front of them, but uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. And I'm learning just like everybody else who's not quite as familiar with the sport, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun following this team from now on. Okay, our two deep dive segments are complete. Coming up next, we have our question of the day. All right, thanks for hanging with us here on Navy Sports Central. It is time for our question of the day. And as we usually do, let's check out the responses to the one I put out to you all on our last episode. So the question was, how many times has Navy won their home opener since Ken Niamatololo has been the head coach? Uh, In this case, I'm referring to the first home game of the season played at Navy Marine Corps Stadium and and not at a neutral site. And your choices were A, uh, 9, B, 10, C, 11, and D, 12 times. So in his now 15th season as head coach, Ken Niamatololo has posted a win in Navy's home opener 11 times. So that was a correct answer. And most of you did go with that one. I think there's about 86% of you who, uh, who chose uh, 11. Now, the downside of that is the loss against Delaware makes that the third straight one the mids have had in as many years. So clearly, things have gone a little bit sideways. Uh, next season, they'll have a chance to break that streak when they take on Wagner. Now, here is our question of the day for this week. Um, Vince Durrell Jr. finished the ECU game with 114 yards on three catches. 
Your question is, when was the last season the Mids had a player gain at least 100 receiving yards? Was it 2016, 2017, 2018, or 2019? So you guys can go ahead and think about that one for a little bit. Um, I will go ahead and post that on our uh, Navy Sports Nation group Facebook page, and it should be up by the end of the day. And by the way, you get extra points if you can name the player and the game in which it occurred, and you can do that in the uh, comments section. Okay, let's roll right into our mid-watch segment. Our two athletes began competing almost two weeks ago, so I do have some results to pass along. Let's go ahead and start with Ellie Abraham from the women's cross-country team. I actually thought she was going to run in the Salisbury Classic over the Labor Day weekend, but she sat that one out near as I could tell. I didn't see any results for her at all. I'm guessing that because the mids have a lot of depth, uh, the coaches probably wanted to get a look at some of the other runners, so uh, that's why they kept her out of that one. But uh, anyway, Abraham was in action the following week at the Spike Shoe Invitational, which was held up at Penn State University. She was the third runner from Navy to cross the finish line, placing 17th in a pretty large field, and that was enough for the mids to edge out Penn for uh, third place in what was a pretty competitive meet. Then, at the uh, Navy Invitational that was held on September 16th, Abraham finished just behind her teammate and overall winner, Emily Booten. The mids took three of the top seven spots and actually won the meet pretty handily, coming in well ahead of Richmond and Maryland. Abraham's time over the six-kilometer course, which is uh, roughly 3.72 miles, by the way, was uh, 21 minutes, 42.8 seconds, and that works out to be about a 550-mile pace. The mids' next meet is another invitational hosted by Notre Dame up in South Bend, and that will take place on September 30th. Now let's check out what's going on with Keegan Shreves from the uh, men's golf team. The mids have competed in one invitational so far. That was the uh, Doc Gimler, which was played on the red course at the uh, Bethpage Golf Club up in Farmingdale, New York. Shreves had the lowest score of the day for the second round for the mids, shooting a 200 par 68. For the tournament, he finished two strokes behind teammate Owen Huntington, who posted a three-day total of 209, and that was good enough for one under par. Navy finished 12th overall out of 15 teams. Harvard actually ended up coming in first after finishing second last year. The uh, next tournament on the schedule for the mids is up in Michigan at the end of the month, and that will be followed by the star match against Army on October 8th and 9th. That's going to do it for this edition of Navy Sports Central. Thank you all so much for joining us. Now, if you like what you've heard, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and remember to spread the word to all the other Navy fans out there. We have been getting a great response to our question of the day, so if you want to jump in on that, just go to the Navy Sports Nation group Facebook page. I will go ahead and pin it to the top uh, so you won't miss it. And just a quick reminder, the views expressed on Navy Sports Central are my own and do not reflect those of the U.S. Naval Academy or Navy Athletics. By the way, the music used in Navy Sports Central comes to you courtesy of Audio Jungle. This is a great site for purchasing the rights to use music from thousands of artists around the world, and those we feature in the podcast will be credited in our show notes. Talk to you soon, everybody. Until next time, this is Carl Darden. Go Navy, beat Army. <laughs>